This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Hi, folks. You are listening to the Media Week Podcast. My name's Dan Barrett, Deputy Editor of Media Week. I'm joined here by a man of whom I'm very excited to have a chat with, uh, Charles Firth. But people know you for The Chaser. Yeah, I, I suppose I'd call myself Editor-in-Chief of The Chaser Quarterly. Yeah. Yeah, that's my official title. So the mystery I've had is what sort of role do you have within the wider Chaser group? Because you've always seen like the sort of outsider, but is that an accurate depiction or are you guys, like how tight are you? Like what's would, the deal? I would describe myself as the heart of the Chaser. <laughs> I... <laughs> would other people agree no, with that? No. no. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I uh, set up the Chaser and um, so, and then I got really uh, annoyed with everyone sort of about six or seven years in and decided to go off and do my own thing and then annoyed at the sort of creative process and I had you know I just there was other things I wanted to do with my yeah. life and so um, yeah so I sort of have spent most of the last seven or eight years just doing other stuff producing other TV shows and stuff and just in the last year had come back and and taken up especially because my first love was always printing and publishing like yeah. it started as a newspaper and so I've you know taken up that mantle and sort of taken the chaser back to its roots and and I, I suppose what you'd say is chaser quality is hardcore chaser it's the stuff for the pure chaser yeah it's the pure chaser it's the chaser that you have after you've had a chaser it's a chaser, <laughs> chaser. <laughs> Oh, that's ridiculous. Um, Okay, so maybe let's talk about the original print publication. So it was a newspaper that was coming out. How frequently was it? It was fortnightly. Yeah. So we we ended up doing about 100 issues. We we always call it 99.94 editions. (laughs) Yeah. We did um, over the course of about five five or six years. So from 1999 through about 2006. Um, And then also we had... Our books and everything like that, which sort of sold for sort of 11 years, 12 years, chaser annuals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then, and then from, and so when I took over the chaser website um, in about sort of September last year, it was, it had its last update had been 2011. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just sort of, and I was looking at the YouTube channel today because I'm trying to actually get all our social media assets sort of working. And the last time anyone had logged into our YouTube channel was uh, 2012. <laughs> so th- there was a bit to be, there was, there was some cobwebs <laughs> But um, yeah, no, it's, it's sort of now, you know, you know, we've doubled the Facebook following and um, mm. we're sort of working on a, a broader strategy, trying to look at Snapchat as a, as a thing. Because the interesting thing is uh, 69% of our online audience is actually under 35. It's 18 to 34s. And so, and they're hanging out on Snapchat. Like, it, all the millennials in the office, um, you know, sort of... <laughs> Do all the stuff for the chaser during the day for Facebook and the web and everything like that. And yeah. They're on Snapchat and you're going, wait a minute, we're not even reaching the people who are producing the content. So, so having just sort of recently rejoined the chaser fold to a larger degree, is it kind of weird coming into the group? Because there's like some newer people around. So you've got the youngsters who are all involved in the last few chaser productions. So the checkout and uh, the election desk. So it's a bit weird sort of having to meet people and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pure chaser. <laughs> oh, they know who you are. <laughs> and if they don't, I make 
make sure that no um it's been good that's actually an intentional strategy has been to sort of reshape over the next couple of years we're aiming to reshape what people think of when they think of the chaser the chaser is a sort of guarantee of cheekiness of mm. rudeness and um you know incredible and first and foremost being really funny um but uh, who actually delivers that um in terms of on-screen personality or even you know when you you know in the written word and everything like that it's actually always been a, a broader team anyway i mean um, right from the word go, the Chaser newspaper had sort of 20 contributors in, in every edition. Um, the, the TV shows have always been a group effort involving you know, at least 40 or 50 people. Um, and so it's sort of, it's what we're trying to do is just evolve the brand away from just sort of the expectation that there's five people and they are the only thing that the taster does. Yeah. Now, you made a comment on the Party Room podcast recently that I wanted to have a chat with you about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast that's Fran Kelly and Patricia Carvelis. They were doing it through RN during the election campaign. You were a guest on there one day. You were criticising your fellow colleagues on the Chase's election desk and you just said that everyone was too nice to each other. Oh, yes. So, people were very friendly to each other. I think on Slack, I think, is the chosen method of communication in the oh, office. Horrible. Yeah. And, yeah, so, I, w- I wanted to ask you, like is bitterness really the key to comedy oh definitely yeah, yeah. No, it's, no, and in actual fact because we've just the, the latest edition of Chaser Quarterly is is a, this bumper edition called the Chasers Australia and it's written primarily by two very very bitter people Mark <laughs> Humphries and Evan Williams and uh, one of the reviewers basically said look um you know, the reason this is so funny is because it's, it's clearly written by people who are just bitter, bitter, horrible <laughs> people. And But that's what allows... That's the grist for the meal. That's why yeah. Chris Taylor has always been the best writer on The Chaser. Because actually, at heart, he's, he's the angriest man you'll ever meet. He's the most bitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, he sort of has this sort of, um, you know, lovely... <laughs> exterior. You know, upward exterior. <laughs> But actually, I think at heart, he, he you know... Deep within his rotten liquor. anger in everything, yeah. <laughs> okay. and, and, yeah. and, and on the um, creative process thing, I, I totally I stand by my comments, which <laughs> yeah. is that, you know, the, the election desk, um, you know, there, there was a fundamental problem, which is that uh, you can't be nice... Uh, in a writer's room, you actually have to sort of go, you know, there's a point at which you've got to go, no, that idea is not very good. Mm. And and I, I just couldn't stand the fact that we were listening for five minutes to ideas where in 30 seconds you could go, that's not even an idea, that's like <laughs> half an idea, that's not... Like, bring it back when it's an idea. <laughs> is this a generational issue where you've grown yeah. up as, like, a hardened Gen Xer where you've got these filthy millennials of whom are all sunshine and... Well, no, actually, what I would say is I think that you've, you've got to go through that process. Like, the problem that I see is that we're not putting... Or in that writer's room, people were not being put through the sort of meal that they needed to be put through that actually 
you know, because I've got a few millennials who, who sort of intern and write for uh, the Taste of Quarterly and the website and everything like that. Mm. And you've just got to reject 90% of what they write. Like, that's how... And explain it to them. But yeah. don't go overboard. Just sort of go, no, it just wasn't funny <laughs> If that's... that's no. It's how you get good. Yeah, how you get good. It, it, I've got a perfect example. This guy called Rowan Arneel yeah. writes for the Chaser website. Six months ago, he would admit now that he could not string a sentence together. Like, he literally, he must have been schooled by the public school system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could not, or maybe kept it, I don't know. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, but six months later, he now, um, he can now even read a dictionary. It's amazing. A full dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> From beginning to end. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, like, I don't know what he did, but he sort of learnt to read and write. And he's now by far the funniest writer um, except for me. On yeah. Now, as a product of the public school system, I will say fair cop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you have been sort of skirting around talking about the Chaser Quarterly. Now, this is, I think, the third quarter we've seen a publication come Fourth. through. Fourth. Yeah, so, sorry. So we've, we've just literally a couple of weeks ago was our first birthday. Yeah. We've now had four editions, and we're just literally in the middle of producing number five, which is going to be, which is actually a. Um, so during the election, which was number three, mm. we did a joint publication with The Shovel, which yep. is a very good, very funny um, new satire website in Melbourne who essentially has stolen the <laughs> funniest website in Australia from The Chaser. And um, so what... Which is a shame considering all the great content that's been coming through since 2011 on the site. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Um, and and I, so I just took a leaf out of Machiavelli's book, which is, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the, the shovel is, is doing... We're basically doing a double book, so one side is going to be the shovel annual and it'll publish all its stuff from during the year and then the Chaser Quarterly for the next edition will be looking forward to 2017. Okay. So, you know, all the places that you can expect, war, famine, <laughs> um, you know, epidemics and stuff like that. Yeah. All coverage of the Zika virus. Very uplifting yeah, I have been looking for something cheerful to hand mum. <laughs> uh, so, the last Chaser Quarterly I purchased, so obviously got the book this edition. Mm. The last one my dog actually ate. Oh, really? I got a new puppy. It was sitting on the table and destroyed the book. It is delicious. Yeah. Take, it, take uh, that as a comment. Well, that, no, I, no, that's, um, you know, that's the future of publishing. Yeah. Actually just make food. Yeah, just... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> one part book, In the other part kibble. Food, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I actually use Media Week as I've used it for much worse. <laughs> okay, so you've got the edition this month, though. So you've chosen to go for a book instead. What was the decision making with the book? Well, it was actually. Uh, I don't know. Like in terms of the sales cycle. Mm. Um, one of the things I've been trying to figure out is how to sort of innovate around the way in which people behave um, so that you sort of maximise your money, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I know, nobody buys anything in March. So, um, like in terms of in, for books and yeah. magazines, you must know this. You, oh, well, publishing's not my beat, but yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you've got to do something a bit oddball but very cheap to sort of... Uh, get people in there, but for the spring, like for the sort of um, 
that sort of you know August edition leading up to Father's Day my thought was I think every year we're going to do an evergreen where it can sit on your shelf for literally years mm. it can sit on bookshelves for literally years so that it can actually be more than just something you flip through and throw away but is it actually worthy of being a gift either for Father's Day or for Christmas so so it's it, essentially the Chaser Quarterly is sort of a bit like a book club in that you get a quarterly some of the time, and yeah. some of the time you'll actually get um, real books. Like we've got another, we've got two books planned for next year. One is the Chaser Book of Fairy Tales, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which is all you know, fairy, fairy tales updated with modern political satire, which I think is going to be an amazing book. And then um, for that sort of spring. Cycle next year, we're doing the Chaser Book of Crime, uh, which will be a sort of satirical account of crime. Like it's yeah. Be, yeah, and I think actually giving people, like, I don't know, that's, that seems to be the way in which you can actually, you know, give value. I think, I think the thing that doesn't work in publishing in print anymore is when things are sort of topical and timely. The things that actually people derive value from is when you can pick it up and cherish it and it yeah. lasts. And it makes sense in a bookstore where I'd imagine most chaser, like core chaser audience, are probably people that are spending time in bookstores, whereas getting them into a news agency is probably a bit of a harder ask. Well, we are in news agents, but yeah, yeah. you're right, our sales are terrible in news agents. Mm. Um, we sort of, our sales through is about 33% or something. Yeah. Um, whereas in bookstores, it's sort of, well, it is between 80% and 100%, um, depending on the issue. And yeah, so I think there's the bookish thing. I mean, it's interesting because online, our audience is 18 to 34s mm. uh, predominantly, but in terms of purchases of the, of the book, um, it seems to be 45 to 54 this is our key demographic there so essentially the 45 year olds are funding the content yeah. of millennials who who also stay at home and don't even pay rent to their parents and everything young people yeah. the very first edition of the Ch uh, Chaser Quarterly uh, you had an interesting idea which was to have native advertising sort of within the edition now I haven't heard much of that since so I presume it didn't really pan out but what was the original thinking on it and what did you learn from that yeah so the idea was that we were going to have advertisers only allow advertisers who actively wanted to criticise themselves and take the piss out of themselves like mm. the Chaser would and turns out nobody wants to pay for that privilege. Um, was the idea that come up with the creative themselves or would it just be that turn it over to you and you'd go to town on them and work with them? So we were sort of open, yeah. we were open to either. Um, but I think that, so I've, I've done a lot more, like I've spent the year actually investigating this space and, um, you know, talking to advertisers, talking to brand managers as well as agencies and things like that. Yeah. And I, I think there is something to be done there. At the time, I made this comment about how native advertising, um, there's no way to do it, native advertising that doesn't, isn't the death of integrity. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think there is a certain truth to that still. I think, you know, like audiences, if you're going to maintain your integrity, you have to sort of indicate very clearly if you're, being, if you're on the... Payola, you know, 
mm. there. But um, no, there's, there's definitely, like, I think brand partnerships there. What, it, what I've realised is that actually brands are more interested in doing uh, longitudinal deals that actually have a quick pro quo going both ways. Like, if you can find a company, and I think I've found a couple where, you know, you know their their assets and sort of things can be brought to grow your business in the same way that you can grow theirs. That's when you can sort of derive the most value. And there will be um, sort of experimenting with that. Yeah. But the problem is that, uh, um, like, if you like, I think Frankie Magazine does it really well. I think a lot of their stuff feels like it's not really advertising, even when it is, and it's clearly delineated. Like, they've got a really good sense of how to do that. Um, the problem is that if you're also trying to put out, you know, a couple of your editions as books, mm. there's no room for that. You can't. Yeah. And now we sit down <laughs> for a nad for Nissan halfway through this book. You yeah, know? you don't find that in the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I agree. Like, it is this sort of ongoing tension. Mm. I think. Um, I, I think. Because video works so well for for brand advertisers, I think that's the space in which you know there'll be some innovation. And you know things like Snapchat stories and stuff like that are really stuff that that work well both for the audiences that advertisers want to think, but they require the authenticity that something like the Chaser can actually deliver. Yeah, because it seemed like a really interesting idea. Uh, interesting, just like that's code for bad. But no, no, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. actually, no, no, I think it was an interesting idea. Just in that, I think about shows like The Chaser, where if you had a politician come on to the TV show, supposedly make fun of themselves, mm-hmm. like it ingratiates them a bit more with the audience. And so you'll walk away thinking, oh, you know, Joan Kerner being on The Late Show, she's an all right lady. And so you kind of have that warmer feeling. And I think there is a position for brands to do the same thing. But I also understand why brands maybe wouldn't want to put themselves in such a dangerous position as well and look there's some interesting um social media brand management firms out there like emotive mm. are quite interesting in that space they did the ricky gervais stuff for, for optus yeah where you know they're sort of prepared to take risks but the sort of risk profile of that compared to what we were sort of hoping to achieve like yeah. I, I had in my mind that we could do basically do ad busters and get people to pay for that sort of style of ed busting in actual fact that's not true at all (laughs) yeah (laughs) and in actual fact I'm not sure I would want that anyway I think um, you know like at the moment our sales are such that you know we're not reliant on ad sales at all and which is a good place to be yeah which is a great place to be and I sort of wonder whether we should just at the moment concentrate on increasing our circulation and increasing our actual subscribers and things like that Mm. and and, you know leave that you know or just keep playing around with that space without actually necessarily you know putting a timeline on yeah. Now, the current book you're working with, you said two writers earlier, so Mark Humphreys and Evan Williams. Now, both of them former members of The Roast, okay, which I believe is a show that you executive produced. Yes. How did that partnership come around? So, what was the origins of you getting involved in that? Well, with The Roast. With The Roast. Oh, right. Yeah, no. I, I set that up. Um, so, it started out 
uh, I just me and Nick Richardson um, worked together for years with Creative Partners, and I one day got very sick. We'd just been uh, I can't remember. You know, like, like some we had this great idea for a show called The Complete and Utter History of Australia, and we'd been through various funding rounds. We'd actually got a sort of we constructed two point three million dollars with financing to put it together. Yeah. And then it had collapsed just at the last minute. And I think out of that frustration came um, a sort of desire to go. Oh well, you know, I hate the gatekeepers who, you know, can just with a flick of a pen destroy months of work. Um, I'm going to just do something that will not. You know, cannot be stopped because it's just basically me and a computer. Mm. So, just the first few episodes were just literally downloading clips off YouTube and then revoicing them, putting them out. Yeah, it actually got a bit of traction, and then I roped Nick and Tom Glasson in to sort of doing it full time while I went out and tried to um, convince various networks that it was good, and and they did. They must have done about 60, like, one or two-minute shows. I think it was one minute initially, um, before then Fairfax picked it up and then they ran with it for about six months. The, the, the guys there were very generous in sort of allowing us to be so... Like, it was such a weirdly tiny product. Yeah. And then, um, and then the next year we constructed a deal where we had... It was on, I think it was on Fairfax and Comedy Channel. For some reason, I think we sold the free to it. So I managed to sell the pay TV rights to the Comedy Channel and then turned around and went, oh, I'm also going to put it on ABC too. <laughs> yeah. And nobody cared because it was such small amounts of money. Mm. And that was a two-minute show which lasted a year, I think. Yeah, and it was kind of similar to the way The Chaser sort of started out on the ABC yeah. with like a short interstitial sort of a... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fly TV was the first thing that we ever did. Um, for ABC. Mind you, I think that was only about 10 episodes. Mm. But, um, and then, and then after that, uh, and then Stuart Menzies, uh, who was the head of ABC2 at the time, yeah. at the end of that year, just went, okay, I suppose you got it. Like, like, that's right, because we actually, we got a grant from the City of Sydney Council yeah. um, to go and set up in some cheap building that was abandoned. <laughs> and and that part of the whole reason why it was possible to do was mm. we had cheap rent. Um, and so that was the place in Redfern? No, it was, no. no this was on Oxford Street. Oh, okay. Um, and and that, that was... And, and I, I was running a sort of political advertising company at the time. And so we actually had a bit of... Look, we made an investment in that space going, look, all these... And that's when Mark Humphreys came on and everything like that. We yeah. all paid them tiny, penury amounts of money um, and they just spent all year making what must have been a two or three minute show and then, and then the next year it got commissioned and it was a proper ten minute show and... Yeah. The rest is history. Yeah. And and yeah, and that's when and both that year, Evan and Mark, and right from the word go, Evan was just such a sad he was very young, he must have been nineteen. 
such a funny writer, but also so politically savvy. Like, he's got this amazing analysis about the world. And Mark, you know, brilliant performer on the rise, like, mm. turned out to be an amazing on-screen talent. But also, um, you know, has the, the writing capacity. As you can see in the book, he just, yeah. he's just a gag machine. And he's got this huge discipline, I think, because he fundamentally hates himself. He, <laughs> yeah. just, um, he never thinks anything's quite good enough. And it's perfect. That's exactly what you want in a writer. Yeah, it's the self-loathing that you really need to propel the comedy. You've got to harness that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I know I came and did a set visit of the Rose sort of right in like the last sort of six to eight months, I think. And the, yeah. it, it, it was good. I mean, it had yeah. a lot of limitations in terms of it never went out of the studio. It was a green screen mm. thing, but that was partly self-imposed. But it was kind of good. You had a building where it sort of felt like you guys were doing your comedy there and then like in the rush, I think, at the end of the day to get your tape up the roads to the ABC to actually make it to air. It was an amazing production. Like it was, yeah. it was lean. It was would have been about... 18 people in all oh no I think it was a bit more than it was 22 people doing it and and yeah every every afternoon um, or night really I think our deadline turned out to be 6.30 for an idea of transmission of 7.30 mm. we got in trouble a couple of times <laughs> but um, it would be on a bike because that was the fastest way to get yeah. from Alexandria to Ultimo where it had to just then be ingested into the system yeah because that's a reliable way of getting around Sydney well and also you know like I mean we looked into so many ways because it was like a gig of data or something like that like, mm. if we'd been anywhere else in the world we could have got an internet connection for, <laughs> yeah for, for you know for nothing <laughs> nah. no <laughs> it wasn't going to happen yeah Hey, Australia. Yeah. Uh, so shows like The Roast, and I guess what the sort of chase were sort of in the very earlier incarnations on TV, do you kind of feel that's missing from Australian TV where we should have young satirical comedy coming through that? Because, I mean, at the moment, the only thing really is McAuliffe's show, I think, doing that, and it's not quite really well, the not energy young, of... Well, it's not young. Like, it's not really the energy that things like, you know, The Late Show or The Chaser or The Roast were doing. Yeah. Um, look, I'm sure they'll arise. I, I, I think... I think the most interesting spaces in video are existing outside the broadcast model now. And mm. I think there's been a real shift. I think 2016 will be the year that we look back on where we go, oh, that was the moment the broadcast mo model really started to collapse. So, um, and that said, there's also great things happening in the broadcast model. So what's happening is basically every piece of um, comedy that's coming out of the ABC now is being co-financed by international money. So CISO in the US and... Yeah, Netflix. doing soulmates and... Yeah, yeah. And they all, um, you know, half of their, or more of their money comes from overseas. That means that things like, oh, let's do a political comedy about Australian politics. Yeah. Um, it's not... Is not as financially viable. It's sort of like, oh, well, we've got to pay out for a hundred percent of that show. So yeah. the broadcast model um, doesn't really work for locally. That sort of very hyper local thing. Like you know, looking at the chases of Australia, I, I reckon that that book would make a perfect TV show. But part of the problem is how do you find it? Like, how yeah, it's Netflix <laughs> that it's got a global audience for something where you're making jokes about Daryl Summers. Yeah. Um, or John Farnham, as there is many John Farnham jokes through that book. <laughs> well, the, the whole thing about 
Australia is the, his favourite country where he's been successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but um, so but but then there are interesting things like there are sort of live shows and things like that where um, you know they're putting them out on the internet with bad quality sound and bad quality lights. Mm. Um, I, I think it's it's not that it's not happening, it's that the gatekeepers aren't looking in the right places and the gatekeepers don't know how to finance it. So. Yeah. And, and I think what will happen is somebody will come up with a model that, um, you know, just cuts ABC and SBS out of the... Yeah. Well, I mean, the audience seems to be heading to different gates right now. Yeah, and I, and look, I, I'll be quite honest, um, I, I hope that in two years' time, you you know, the chaser can can be one of those platforms where it, it can help sort of auspice those sorts of things as a platform. Giant Dwarf um, is doing that in a live sense. Yeah, um, being the theatre that you guys are yeah, running. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are lots of things happening. It's just a matter of um, yeah. So I'm not I'm not depressed about the state of. I, I think yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think yeah. It, it, it's surprising that you know all the best stuff that you see online is produced, even if it's locally produced content. You know is produced out of the BuzzFeed offices in Australia and, and things like that. Like, yeah. there's not a huge amount of stuff that's locally financed, so, yeah. I mm. uh, just got a couple of quick things to run past you as we sort of wind things up. Uh, one of the things that's sort of been in my mind the last year, just as I was looking at the Chase Quarterly sort of coming back into existence, and I also saw there was a great doco about National Lampoons running at the same time. Uh, when it was about, like, I think it was the Sydney Film Festival last year. I think you can find it on Netflix now, maybe. I've seen it somewhere. And it was just this look back at the National Lampoons magazine as it launched in the US. And one of the great components to it was a lot of great cartooning sort of on there, both within covers as well as interesting features had that do you think that's an area that the chaser quarterly might sort of go into actually having some visual representation of the comedy rather than just the text-based comedy which has been a large part of it that's a very interesting question hmm. i um i usually yeah, have one yeah yeah one interesting question <laughs> so we've got andrew weldon and fiona katowskis um who were there from the very beginning who still cartoon for the Chase Quarterly. Yeah. I actually think that they're... What I've been pondering is, is there a sort of, you know, Chaser Kids um, <laughs> idea, like a... I don't know whether it's a publication or an app or something, that brings cartooning to a sort of slightly younger audience. Like, okay. What I loved... I loved Mad, Mad Magazine. I loved... Yeah. <laughs> Madam Cracked. Yeah, Crack, not so much. Well, Cracked <laughs> is great now, but yeah. you know, back in the day it wasn't. Um, but you know, Buster and Chips and all those sorts of British comic books. Mm. And my thought has been, I wonder whether there's something interesting to play in that space where, yeah, it, like, you know, where you bring that sort of you know, I don't know, eight to 14 year old audience into the Chaser Fold through through more cartoons and comic strips and stuff like that. Yeah, through the cheap humor that your parents call garbage. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, the best find I reckon of this whole Chaser Quarterly thing has been an illustrator. Uh, it's not really cartooning, it's more sort of 
confronting satirical <laughs> illustrations. Yeah. Um, his name's Jesse Campbell Brown, and he, he did the front cover for um, Jason Quarterly 3, but he's had some really striking images. Um, and, yeah, I, I, you know... I quite like that. I like the intersection between satire. I don't know. Did you ever see? Um, did you ever? Where are you a fan of Rob Cobb? Do you remember? Cobb? No. I feel I should. But... So he was a sort of nineteen seventies uh, cartoonist, but black satire, like yeah. very dark satiric yeah. cartoon. So the good satire. Yeah, yeah. And it was sort of in the aftermath of the Vietnam War when you know American militarism was sort of most exposed for what it was yeah um and and i sort of feel like someone like jesse has the ability to to play in that space in a way that you just don't see anymore like you know facebook is a terrible medium for cartoons it, mm. it doesn't work um they don't travel they don't go viral um but illust- you know, so I, mean, I don't know where you'd put it. I think it's probably an Instagram thing. Uh, but, yeah, that's sort of medium to nail. Yeah, I think the only cartoonist to go viral recently is Bill Leak, but that's a thing neither here nor there. Okay, so other things. Uh, one of the things uh, I first really noticed you doing was the Vox Pops for the first year of War and Everything. Mm. That was when you sort of really stood out as an independent comedic sort of mind. Looking this year at the US election, do you kind of wish you were over there doing something similar at the moment? Like, yeah, it well, seems so fertile. I've been over there a couple of times, yeah. and I'm planning on heading back. Um, in no, uh, in October, um, but I've got a couple of sponsorship deals to get myself over there, um, yeah. which still are yet to be finalised. <laughs> so, um, but I'm hoping that I can go over there and do three or four weeks of box popping in the lead up to the election. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah I'm very excited by that. Oh, sorry, I'm just suddenly reminded of CNN and, and, and I'm trying to remember how many ends there were. <laughs> uh, what was the deal with that as a format really coming to existence? Because it's such a strange way for you guys to identify yourselves and really come out to the Australian public with something where you weren't really yourselves and you were just under this sort of fake, uh, this facade of TV news. I think it's because we fell in love with Brass Eye. Of course, and, yeah. Um, and Being the British comedy. The British yeah. comedy, which was a sort of piss take of more sort of hard-hitting um, tabloid journalism. And um, and so that was Chris Morris. And we, we watched basically all of his work and then we just went, hang on, um, we want to do something like this. And I think there was a real ambition. There was a creative ambition there. Yeah. Um, that, that then the gatekeepers systematically tried to steer us away from. So, you know, the CNN and N was 100% written, you know, except for the stunts. Mm. Um, but it was great. And Andrew Denton was such a, I mean, you know, he had such a sort of obsessive, he was a real craftsman in that he understood that, you know, to, to do a high-concept show like that, you needed, he actually said to us on day one, you know, you're going to need to devote, out of the 26 minutes, you're going to need to devote 11 or 12 minutes to reinforcing the premise of this structure, this concept. Yeah. And that's why there were all these parody points. And I mean, it was a great sort of way to teach us how to write for television as well, because it was, 
you know, very fast paced, lots of bumpers and slogans and little ads and things like that yeah. to sort of reinforce the premise. I still think about the fungry ads. The fungries? Like far more often than I should. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was, yeah, I mean, there was so many. We had brand, we had the steam, we had fungries, we had um, bogs, beer. <laughs> yeah. They were all really. Um, it was a great. You know, I mean, in some ways, it was a sketch show, but um, but there was a real ambition there to the point where it actually ended up winning. Like it won an AFI for best script writing one year. Like yeah, it was actually. And then, and to me, the pity is that you know the gatekeepers kept on saying, "Oh, well, why don't you just do a panel show? You know, why don't you just do something a bit looser and stuff like that?" Why would you want to do that? And it's because what they wanted was quantity, mm. quality. Like that is that's what television is, and it invites you to produce more and more and more. Yeah. Um, but you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let you get out of here in a moment. Uh, the last thing you said that you were doing some political advertising a short while ago. Now your wife is a co-founder of GetUp, mm. and I was wondering, do you do much sort of creative for GetUp? Is that like no, an avenue I, you get involved in? I did do one um, ad for them once. Because one yeah. of the cool things with GetUp is it does actually um, employ quite a number of members of the local com- like comedy scene to get involved in ads. So yeah, they do. I know Dan Elich was doing a bit there for a while, and yeah, yeah a few others. They don't pay very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, they sort of expect you to do it for nothing because they're so worthy while they all draw quite considerable salaries. So, <laughs> and also, yeah. because the man, my wife, is still actually on the board now, um, it wasn't really... Like, I never sort of thought of it as appropriate to sort of go, oh, here, I'll yeah. do lots of... It. I mean, and they probably wouldn't have me anyway, but no, I did do one. Um, which was it was for some it was a send up of Zoot Review <laughs> yeah it was I can't remember what it, it was pointing R- out something ripe for parody yeah it was ripe yeah. for parody and it went viral very quickly it, this was years ago this was like five years ago it went viral it, like it got huge response and then within about an hour an hour and a half and it was making tons of money for them because it's all based yeah. on how much money they make donations um, and and then it got shut down and it was like what the lawyers from Zoots was that I the, can't remember no. I, I actually can't remember <laughs> the details but it was it was both defamatory and <laughs> trademark infringement there was about 15 problems <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was my one and only um Foray. Yeah, yeah. foray. <laughs> Charles, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, people wanting to find the book and find it in all good bookstores everywhere. Yeah, all yeah. good books and actually also in bad bookstores. Yeah. Um, got some good sales in Yeah. Percentage-wise, they more in good or bad stores? What's the... Oh, I think they're mostly in bad stores. Yeah. No, yeah, they're in all bookstores and in all good news agents. So we're in the top 950 news agents. Yeah. So places where people could get the Chase League Chaser Quarterly, does the book just replace it on the shelf now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just, um, for this quarter, um, it'll be, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, so it, it, walk into news, your news agent and ask for Chase Quarterly and they'll show you the Chasers Australia. Yeah. Now, I bought a copy the other week with Mark Humphreys right next to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which was pleasant. Yeah. But he didn't sign it or anything. Really? Oh, really? What's the deal with that? I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can sign it on the <laughs> Well, yeah. No, no, no. Were you a writer on the book? (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) But no, Charles, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, People can find you on Twitter. Where do they do that? Uh, At Charles Firth. And are you pushing much, like, you know? 
pushing the book there, pushing you know the um, chaser gear. So I, like I would encourage you to sign up to at Chaser. Yeah. The Chaser's account. So and that keeps you up to date with everything. And follow us on Facebook, um, which is the Chaser. Yeah. So, Facebook.com/slash/the-chase. I think uh, Facebook actually do ads now, so you can. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah, no. I saw yeah, we were saying that the other day. It comes up. Yeah, with an it's re- really annoying because we don't have app chaser. We've got app the chaser. Facebook. Ah, doesn't yeah, it doesn't sync up. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever set it up is an yeah. idiot. You should get on that. Yeah. Anyway, Charles, thanks so much. Thanks, Dan.